As you're being seated, if you would take out your copies of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 25 through 33 today. If you're following along in the hymn book, I think that's page 1,164 or 5, one of those. Following along there. 62. Thank you. The helper indeed. We'll be reading verses 25 through 33. So listen carefully. For this is God's word that is for you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our text today. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for this guidance of how it is that we live out your institution of marriage. I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to believe. Lord, I pray that you would help me to expound this word carefully and accurately, and may, we, may you apply it to all of our hearts this day. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It is said that men just like things simple. We've recently had a move over at our Walmart. They were stripping off all the tile underneath, and as a consequence, they were shoving some of the aisles into various other sections of the store. And I had noticed on the time in which I was there, they had shoved all the canned goods and pasta into the men's clothing aisle, creating the ultimate male efficiency in Walmart. We'd all have to go to one place and find everything that we need. Some of us could even move in there and be quite happy. Now, this was something that I had posted on social media and gotten a lot of laughs and things because we recognize a certain truth to that statement in which we just, men, it seems, just like things simple. Now, I don't pretend to be an expert on the male psyche, but I think that's an oversimplification, if I could say that. I don't think it is that men prefer things simple so much as I think that men seek clarity and grand purpose. This is something, and I base this on the fact that when men find retirement, when they do find a life of simplicity, when they do find this time of ease that many of us have idolized and dreamed of for so long, if they simply stay in that condition, they tend to wither. In fact, it's been said that men don't die of old age, but they die of retirement, in that we lose a purpose that we have for our lives. 
Now, I don't mean to say that only men seek grand purpose in their lives. What I am saying is that most men are too easily satisfied with the, with the first purpose that comes up in front of them. We become too easily satisfied to become money-making machines. We become too easily satisfied with being able to lift more than other people. And so we stop. And age, in its mercy, takes that away from us. It takes away the ability to be the best provider in our peer circle. It takes away that strength we've spent so much time building up. And we're forced to seek something grander. It's been right in front of our faces this whole time. If we'll but see what Jesus has for us in this passage. This is not to say that we don't work hard at our job. This is not to say that we don't get into the gym and take care of our bodies. But it is to say, what is it that we are doing everything else for? Why are we pursuing these things? Is it for our families? Or is it for climbing a golden ladder? that every man on his way down tells us it's not worth it of what's up on top. So we're going to take a look at these two points, is what it says here in this passage. This is going to apply whether you are a husband or not. If you are a single man, this is the character that Christ wishes to form in you as one who thinks outside of himself and will sacrifice for other people. In other words, being like Jesus So this is something that can apply to us all here today. But in particular for husbands, these two points, and we've kept them clear and profound. Point number one, just quoting the scripture, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. We'll unpack what that means. And then secondly, we'll spend less time on this point. But secondly is that God made marriage to glorify himself. We'll see how all of those things tie together. So let's begin with Paul's command to love your husbands as Christ have loved the church. I've heard various explanations as to what this means as growing up. First is men, it's like, okay, well, what did Christ do for the church? Well, he died for the church. So husbands, be willing to die for your wives. Great. How often's that coming up? I've been married for five years, and I've not had to stop one bullet or grenade yet. Does this mean that I've fulfilled this passage in just being willing? Well, no. The next explanation that I've heard of this passage growing up is to say, it's like, well, yes, you do need to be willing to die for your wife. But while you're waiting to do that, why not you live for your wife as well? If you're willing to stop a bullet, why don't you take out the trash? Wash the dishes. That's a lot easier than a bullet. Is to live for your wife. And that's a good, that's a better explanation as well. Because this captures what Christ is currently doing for us. He didn't just die on the cross and then put his feet up. He continues to intercede for us. He continues to pray for us. Or as we see here in this passage, is slowly washing us with the word, making us spotless, making us holy. That's what he's doing. But then there was a third point. A third explanation for here that I thought finally gets every element of this. Yes, Jesus lived for his church. Yes, Jesus died for his church, and he did so while the church was screaming, crucify him. 
He did this while the church was yet sinners. He did this when the church wasn't lovable. This is the idea of of husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Even if if you don't feel like she is loving you back the way you would like. But it's to continue to love her. To be practical, R.C. Sproul offered this following bit of advice. He says, when Paul says, love your wives, he is saying, be loving toward your wife. Treat her as lovely. We'll come back uh, to these other verses in 26 and 27. I'm going to jump down to 28 and 29 because Paul gets really practical as to what love of your wives looks like. It says that you should love your wives as you love your own body. You care for your body. When it's injured, you tend to it. When it's hungry, you feed it. When it's uncomfortable, you make it comfortable. Or when you're going to make it uncomfortable, it's because there's going to be a greater purpose to that. Caring for our bodies. And notice the words that he uses, the words nourish and cherish. This is actually fairly rare words in the New Testament. Nourish only comes up one other time, and it's in Ephesians 6.4, when it says to fathers to nourish your children. Translated there is caring for your children. And the word cherish only comes up one other time. Also in Paul's letters, and for that is in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. Turn there if you would with me. It's important to see this. What is the image of cherish that Paul uses? 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. It says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. Taking care there is what's translated of cherishing. That's the picture. Who, what a better picture of cherishing than you have of a nursing mother. Is that the level of affection that you bring to your wife? Yes, it's different. Your wife is not your child. But it's that same level of sacrifice, that same level of adoration that a nursing mother feels for her child is the same adoration that we are supposed to bring to our wives. In fact, to take a look at this word even more, this word cherish literally means to keep warm. That's the image, and I love that. Do you keep your wife warm? Does she feel secure with you? Or does she feel compared? Do you know what your wife needs? Have you asked her? Does she have reason to believe that if she told you that you would change? These are the questions that we're forced to ask. Do you remember your courtship days? what that was like early on in the relationship. R.C. Sproul paints a a picture to borrow again from him. I would recommend to you his book, The Intimate Marriage. It formed a lot of help in this sermon, in this series, really. And he takes a look at the amount of effort that a young man will put towards the woman he is trying to convince to be his wife and will make all efforts around her, crafting his schedule. All of his energies are devoted here. The focus of an Olympic athlete But after marriage, 
there is the tendency for men to say, checked, and move on to something else. Meanwhile, you have set up this expectation that the way you have been treating your wife before the marriage would continue. You would think, now that you're together and have made a covenant before God together, that that same effort and energy would be put, and oftentimes it isn't. Not speaking as one who has mastered this and is condemning everybody else here. I need to learn from this too. It's easy to think, well, we've got this priority secured, so now there are other things to do. And that's the very mistake that I mentioned earlier on, that men tend to get too easily satisfied with another purpose. Or we think we've checked the box because we said a vow. It's not the case. This is continuing to love and cherish her. Now, you may say, it's like, well, yeah, I changed, but that's because she changed too. She was very different in our courtship years than she is now. And to which R.C. Sproul asks, well, who do you suppose changed her? Who's been the predominant influence over her over all these years? It's a question worth asking. But Paul does not leave us with just ideals and saying, well, unless your marriage fits this ideal, then it just doesn't apply. What about when marriage genuinely is hard? Because I've had couples in my office where marriage is genuinely hard, where one side is trying and the other is not. What do husbands do when the motivation just doesn't seem to be there, when she isn't lovable? Well, verse 28 Verse 28 says that in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And then here's the key phrase, second sentence. He who loves his wife loves himself. How is that possible? How is pursuing someone else's joy pursuing your own joy? Is it because, well, if you put in the effort, eventually she'll respond and will we'll return to you in kind? No, that's not marriage. That's a bargain. That's a business transaction. That's not the gospel. Loving your wife is loving yourself because loving your wife is obedience to Jesus. That's our focus. And that's where joy is, is pursuing what Christ has called us to do. Does that mean it's easy? No. It's not. But in Christ, it's possible. In fact, only in Christ is it possible. That's where we turn to. And that's what makes it to where the other side doesn't have to cooperate for you to have joy. Your joy is not tied to somebody else's emotional state that day or that year or that decade. Your joy is tied to Jesus as it should be. To tie your joy to somebody else is an immense burden that no human being can sustain. Even if they were perfect, they can't sustain the weight of your human expectations. Only Christ can do that. So what are we to do? Okay, husbands are to love their wives, as we talked about last time when we looked at the uh, first paragraph of this passage. Husbands are to lead their wives. How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to lead our families 
as Christ has called us to do. This is the grand purpose of our lives, is to lead our families, lead our wives to Jesus. And that applies whether you're in retirement or you're just starting out in your career. That will always be your purpose, always your grandest thing. I don't care how much money you've made. I don't care how much you can lift, what you can and can't do versus your 20s versus your 60s. The question is, are you leading your wife? Are you loving your wife? That's what matters. Because that's what Christ did for you. It's more than just, well, I'm just submitting to someone because there's someone bigger than me. Jesus is more powerful than me, so I guess I better listen. No, Jesus loves you and has called you to this. You love your wife with sacrifice and unconditionality because that's how Jesus loves you. So even if you're not loved by your wife, you are loved by Christ. And in that energy, serve. So how do you do that? Because you might say, it's like, well, I don't know how I can lead my wife in anything. Spiritually or otherwise, because quite frankly, she's more mature than I am. I don't know how to lead her down the road. She's further down the road than I am. And I speak of that from experience. So what do you do? Well, if she's more mature than you, start working on your maturity. It's not a static thing. It's not like you've been given so much maturity and that's all the maturity you'll ever have. Lean on Christ. Ask him for more help. Get into the word. Seek him in prayer. That's how you can grow that character. And if nothing else, even if she will always be ahead of you, reading her the scriptures does not require more maturity. Leading your wife in prayer does not require more maturity. Or even if you want to help her in her spiritual journey, there's lots of practical ways that you can do that. If you've got a lot of kids, she's able to read her Bible a lot more if you'll, let the, if you'll take the kids a few mornings a week. She's able to pay attention in church if she's not the only one getting up. Providing her those opportunities to pursue Jesus, even if you personally can't give that level of teaching, just allowing for her to have those other times from others is a way of leading and helping her whether you're more mature than her or not. This is what answering the call of Christ looks like. But now if you're saying, it's like, well, I don't know if I know Jesus. Well, then there's where we got to begin. It goes back to the gospel. Look what we saw here and going back up to verses 26 and following. What's Jesus doing for you? How is this picturing what we're looking at? Here, Jesus says that he has cleansed his church. The word there is the idea of clearing a field to make a new construction, according to scholars. Wiping away these sins and is washing her with the water with the word. To not get too in the weeds about whether or not this is baptism or not. I think my seminary professor is correct that the water of the word is the gospel. It's what cleanses us. Revisit this. And what is Jesus doing? He's doing all of this so that we might be morally beautiful. Not trying to make the church physically beautiful. But presenting to himself without, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This is what Christ is doing for us. What Christ has done for you. Now you say, okay, does that mean that I do this for my wife? 
I cleanse her from sin? No. It's not what we're, that's not what we're pointing out here. You aren't able to do that. You can't die for your wife. You can't cleanse your wife. You're not your wife's Holy Spirit. But this is what Christ has done for you. And proclaiming this to your wife, proclaiming to her the gospel, this is how you can work with that. This is giving her Jesus, reminding her of the gospel every day, and modeling that yourself. This doesn't mean we're perfect. The gospel doesn't make perfect people. The gospel shows sinners that they can find a home with Jesus and that he can cleanse them of their sin day by day. That's what we're looking at here. Jesus nourishes and cares for us. He washes us because we are his body. He cares for us. And now as we come to the Final chap, the final paragraph here of this section, as we look into our second point, is that God made marriage to glorify himself. Again, Paul reaches back to Genesis chapter 2, which we just read earlier, and quoting here in this passage, here is where marriage was formed. But then he gives us a little bit more as to what marriage means. God is like an amazing fiction writer. A fiction writer doesn't give you everything all up front, but will give you a little hints and will then develop that as he goes throughout the rest of the narrative, showing you how this first piece of information that you learned becomes important as you go throughout the rest of the story. And that's what God did in Genesis chapter 2. Here we had man who was by himself, never a good thing. Even God himself says that. And then he brings him a wife, and we think, ah! He's cured human loneliness. He's made it possible so that we can multiply and and have dominion over the rest of the earth and has made this bond where these two are fused together in one flesh for life, making this out of a rib instead of out of Adam's foot so he can stand over her. But his ribs can be at her side, as one, I think it was a Puritan that said that. But we don't know what else he has in mind for this. God had in mind from the beginning the gospel. He was saying, okay, not only is this going to be a covenant to cure loneliness and to secure work and all these other things, but that this dynamic of the husband leading, the wife submitting, the husband loving, and wife loving pictures Christ and the church. And this is what Paul reveals to us for the first time. We're finding out here in Ephesians, if you're reading the book from left to right, here's where you find that Christ loves his church. And that puts an amazing profundity to our own marriages. This isn't just a social contract. This isn't just, well, this is the best way that genders work together, so I guess we'll form it this way. This was meant to be a picture of something far grander. Isn't that better than the office? Isn't that better than the weight room? That the way that you can love your wife proclaims to the world, Jesus loves his church. Look at me and see how I love my wife, and that's how Jesus loves his church. That's a profound level to climb to, guys. Can't get there on our own. 
That's why Jesus is here to love us first. We've been loved by him. You can see what that love looks like. That even though we sin again and again and again, he continues to bring his grace and his love to us every single morning. And having been loved in that way, having been shown what that love looks like, that's what we portray to the rest of our wives. Some of you didn't have this model in your fathers growing up, and that's unfortunate. But you have a model in Jesus. There's your model of love. Now, if you're sitting here and saying, I've failed at this. And I think at some level, all of us husbands in here have. If you failed at this, this does not mean, well, you had your shot, but you blew it. It's like, but my kids are grown. I've been married for 45 years. And I've made a mess of it the whole time. Jesus loves to find failures like that. And wash them clean. And start them again. There's nothing to stop you. If you have failed this passage your entire marriage, Jesus tells you, well, now we can start fresh. Because that's the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So if you found yourself a failure here today, go to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I failed at this again. Take this burden of sin away from me. And help me to love my wife as you have loved me. And then tomorrow do it again. And then tomorrow do it again. And keep coming back to Jesus. Slowly, slowly being transformed by him. There's nothing to stop you from that now. And then if you have failed in this way, maybe in a grievous way, after you've come, found forgiveness in Jesus, because he promises that all who come to him will be forgiven, then go to your wife and ask the same forgiveness of her. Don't expect, especially if it's been years and years and years, that it will be fixed in one conversation. It won't. But knowing that you are loved by Jesus, even if you are not loved by your wife, Continue in obedience to Jesus and let him show you his grace. Let him show you his transforming of power in your life and in your marriage. I tell you, he will not disappoint. I don't mean to promise that your marriage will become everything that you want it to be. But I do promise that if you're in obedience to Christ, he will make it everything that he wants it to be. And if that means keeping you dependent for the rest of your life on him, that's what that means. Close a little illustration. There was a ministerial meeting many, 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 many years ago. Pastors gathering together. And someone had said, you know, let's have a time of prayer and thanks for our wives how much they have meant to us and have bolstered our ministries. And of course, everyone was very agreeable to that, but then everybody remembered that there was one minister over here on the side of the table whose wife was really difficult. And they all kind of paused as they realized what it is that they had said, in some ways bragging about their own marriages in relation to his own. And he looked at them and he said, Gentlemen, my wife has brought me closer to Christ than any of yours have. That was his vision. Obedience to Jesus. 
wasn't about finding satisfaction in his wife. But it was in being obedient to Jesus. And even in that, even in someone who was really difficult to live with, he still found joy in his Savior. That's what he offers to you today. And I'll guarantee you, if this is the kind of man that you become and stay, not just get on a holiness kick for a week and then jump back to how it was, but continue to come to Jesus, continue to fall at his feet and look to him for strength, you'll be a much easier person to submit to. You'll be a much more lovely person to hear from. And I think you will see just how much Jesus can transform what you have. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for the gift of marriage that you've given to us and for the portrait of grace that it is for each one of us in our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that this would be the case for all the marriages that are here. I pray that for those that are in disrepair, that you would begin to mend them. I pray for all those that are walking with you, that they would stay walking with you. They would not look to this as being in cruise control mode, but be always pursuing one another in love towards you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.